Radio Mano Papachango. This is a special edition of Tangentially Speaking uh, with my buddy Justin DeRoyder, who was on episode 99. He's a firefighter based in Portland, Oregon. Very interesting guy and uh, a good friend of mine. He came to Spain and we've spent the last week cruising around northern Spain. As you'll hear, we discussed that in this episode. Uh, the highlight of our trip was a visit to see some prehistoric cave art in Cantabria. So we talk about that. We talk about uh, his impressions of Spain, his uh, thoughts on his uh, first trip outside of the U.S. and some of the shift of perspective that he's been experiencing. And uh, all in all, and we answer some reader emails. So we, uh, I thought it would be fun to have a, a guest opiner. Uh, giving his opinions on some of the things that people are asking about. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm not going to do any sort of a long intro because we we uh, talk about the whole situation and we just recorded it five minutes ago. So uh, might as well just get that up while it's fresh. I'm going to play you out with, I was thinking about Spanish songs that I, I could uh, play for you and there's a, a song that's very famous here. It's sort of a classic. Uh, you may have even heard it in the U.S. Uh, it, it was popular enough that it had some crossover appeal. Um, but he's singing in Spanish. It's called La Flaca, which is uh, the, the skinny girl. It's a beautiful song. This is a live version. I saw I saw the band play one time. They're called uh, Jarabe de Palo. And uh, I saw them play in a small club here in Barcelona one time years ago. Uh, it was a tune-up kind of performance for a tour that they were about to go on. Anyway, it's a beautiful song. If you understand Spanish, you'll uh, appreciate the, the lyrics. If you don't, you'll just appreciate the music, I'm sure, and the, the sort of purity of, of the guy's voice as he's singing. Hope you enjoy this episode with Justin DeRyder, and uh, I'll catch you next week. Coral Negro de La Habana, tremendísima mulata. Cien libras de piel y hueso, cuarenta kilos de salsa Y en la cara dos soles que sin palabras hablan Que sin palabras hablan La flaca duerme de día de que así la hambre engaña y cuando cae la noche baja a bailar a la tasca bailar y bailar y tomar y tomar una cerveza tras otra pero ella nunca engorda pero ella nunca engorda por un beso de la flaca Daría lo que fuera por un beso de ella, aunque solo uno fuera 
por un beso de la flaca yo daría lo que fuera por un beso de ella aunque solo uno fuera aunque solo uno fuera mojé mis sábanas blancas como dice la canción recordando las caricias que me brindo el primer día y enloquezco de ganas de dormir a su ladito porque Dios que está flaca a mí me tiene loquito a mí me tiene loquito por un beso de la flaca daría lo que fuera por un beso de ella aunque solo uno fuera por un beso de la flaca yo daría lo que fuera por un beso de ella aunque solo uno fuera aunque solo uno fuera aunque solo uno fuera aunque solo uno fuera solo uno fuera Everything is everything but freedom ring let freedom ring. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this is your podcast host, Dr. Christopher Ryan, coming to you from the back terrace of uh, Calle No de la Rambla in Barcelona, España. I'm here with Mr. Justin Dreider of what was the thing we read the other day that the, uh, either the chocolate sprinkle company or right. I can't remember the other one right Justin's it wasn't last, as good though Justin's last name is kind of famous in Holland apparently there's a company that makes chocolate sprinkles and uh, no I was thinking of uh, a woman who listens to the pod <coughs> sorry podcast oh, right, yeah. uh, teaches um, ESL classes in Montreal and she took a transcript of our uh, episode 99 that Justin and I did way back when. A year and a half, two years ago, probably. Yeah, yeah. Check that out, those of you who are new to the podcast. Check out episode 99, Justin DeRider, where he tells uh, a pretty amazing story about whitewater rafting with a friend and the friend's father. And the friend's father, um, he had a heart attack? Is yeah. That what it was? Yeah. yeah, he had a heart attack and died during the trip. Um, and I won't ruin the story, but uh, it's pretty epic. Epic. And uh, mm -hmm. then this this uh, teacher, Mela, I think her name is, uh, 
Mayla, I'm going to email you too, just to thank you personally. But yes, Mayla, Justin couldn't email you because his his email's not working here in Spain. But anyway, she sent me uh, a lesson that she had built on that podcast episode, where she took a transcript of you telling the story, and her students had to read the transcript and listen to it, and then retell the story in different um, styles. Uh, one was like a letter to a friend, so sort of a conversational style. Another was as a news report. Another was a newspaper article. And our favorite was a Homerian epic. Oh my gosh, I was crying. It was so That's funny. how I'm, I'm gonna memorize that and learn how to tell the story that way. From <laughs> now on, you'll never hear it the normal way again. It was so great. Listen, <laughs> ye gods, as I tell the story oh of gosh. Justin of Portland and his trepidatious yes. <laughs> and Poseidon, and there were the gods of the waters. Yeah, that's what I was telling Chris. I didn't realize at the time that there was a battle going on in the heavens above me, too. <laughs> exactly. Between gods. Exactly. Tell me my fate. Zeus interceded <laughs> on your behalf with yeah. Poseidon. Poseidon wanted to fuck you up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Zeus, and I think Zeus's daughter got involved too. I can't remember if she was a virgin. You know, or not, the ladies were, yeah, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. she's a virgin, you know. Um, she's a goddess. Yeah, I got to send him an offering, I guess. Zeus. Zeus, yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to kill See. a goat or something and, See. you know, drip, drip the blood of the innocent upon the land or drink it. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever you're I mean, feeling at the moment. They do that in Spain? Drink blood goat? Mm -hmm. They probably do. There's a lot of animal sacrifice. Spanish, uh, you know, Justin's been here for, what, a week now? A week, yeah. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into that. But we've been talking a lot about Spain because it's Justin's first trip here, and so I've been hosting a bit. And uh, I love the Spanish people. They're wonderful. But one thing that they're not wonderful about is uh, cruelty to animals. They are not very enlightened. Bullfighting. Bullfighting is one example. Other examples are there's um, there's a village somewhere. I don't remember where it is uh, in the north. I think where every year they have a festival where they take a they lead a goat up the bell tower of the church and then throw the goat out mm. the off the tower and it you know yeah. squashes in the in the village plaza and then they all dance and celebrate. I mean, I don't know. A lot of bad shit happens to goats. I guess that's not the worst of it. Yeah. But the celebration of the cruelty to animals right. is a particularly Spanish thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, so why are we talking about that? Oh, if they drink uh, the blood, blood goat. Yeah. The they, blood sausage. Well, there's blood sausage aplenty. Delicious, too. Yeah, yeah, we had some of that. Yeah, I, I like to mix it in with something else. On its own, it's a little bit... A little bloody. Eh, I can do it, but yeah. it's best like in a soup or something. We had it in that soup the other day. Yeah. Oh, that was good. Incentive. Oh, the food here has just been... I have more pictures of food than I have of anything else. <laughs> so Justin starts <laughs> taking pictures plates. of our food, exactly. <laughs> and every time we sit down to eat, halfway through it, he remembers to take the picture. So he's got a, a collage of half... Uh, meals, you know the the uneaten half ah, of the meal. It's so good here. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I mean that that definitely shows that you appreciate the food if you only remember to take the picture when you've already eaten half yeah, of it. See? That's yeah, see, that's my best, my Spanish right there. I'm see? trying to learn my Spanish too. Oh right, see, see, just say see a lot. Yeah, 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 that's what I've been doing. That'll cover you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, uh, just to sort of fill in the details, you got here a week ago, we spent a couple nights in Barcelona, then we went to Pamplona, mm -hmm. first night. Running of the bowls, not 
the running of the bulls, but that's where they do it. That's where they do it. So we saw where the bulls run. That's cool. Yeah. We spent a night there. Then the next morning we went to San Sebastian. Mm -hmm. Spent the day in San Sebastian. Beautiful day. Beautiful yeah. place. City's beautiful. We had lunch there. Um, Remember the tapas place? Where tapas place. Yeah. Out, yeah. Yeah, that was like my first kind of immersion in, I guess, Spanish culture or seeing how people... Pamplona was a little bit... Um, they kind of shut it down early. Yeah, we didn't roll into we it kind of late. We weren't really in our groove yet either. Right. Yeah, it was kind of that transition day. We were still jet lagged. Big time, big time. And uh, so, yeah, that was fun up in San Sebastian. I'd heard how beautiful it was, and it is absolutely beautiful. The water's clear. Um, just people out, friendly, yeah. walking on the streets, and just, uh, just seeing how you know the average person's walking around everybody's just smiling and walking sexy and it's just it's a good vibe to just sit back and check out and yeah immerse yourself in yeah so that's what we did there yeah, that's that what we nice. did there and that was great so we spent the day there and then we drove on to uh well we were we were going to a place called castro ordiales but we got there uh, very quickly, you you might have been asleep. I think I slept a lot. Yeah, you were car. you were dozing, and I decided to just blow right past there and get us closer to the cave so that we wouldn't have to drive so mm -hmm. much the next day. Good call, by the way. And uh, so, but I was off the highway. I, we were on a secondary road running along the coast. Um, if you're looking on a map, you'll see uh, we were between Castordiales and Santander on the northern coast of Spain. And um, I saw a little sign that said Playa de something or other, and it looked like, you know, it, it was not a place where a lot of tourists went, obviously, because I didn't see any cars or anything. So I just impulsively turned off, and we went down this little road, and and we pulled into this parking lot, and there were what maybe 50 cars or something, yeah. and, and I didn't see any tourists. No, but um, it was a great spot, a great little cove uh, like one bar yeah uh where we could get some beers and uh and then we went for a swim in this crystal clear freezing cold it was not warm but it felt so good oh, it was man. warm out and uh we'd been in the car yeah we gave a tired. shout out to joe rogan and his uh, anti-inflammatory uh cryogenic yeah, just chambers jump in cold water That's just like jump in the fucking water yeah. joe you don't need to pay a hundred bucks for a goddamn chamber for three minutes. And it does. It you, like you go in inflamed and you come out feeling much looser. Yeah, and you feel good the rest of the day. You do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that should be part of a regimen every day. But you got to live next to a river. I did that in Portland too. Like you go swim in one of those rivers yeah. that's you know the water coming down up Mount Hood. It's fucking beautiful. Yeah, it's just a work get to. You need need some convenient. Yeah. You need a stream, right? And I can't, I've right tried the shower, the cold room. shower. I'm just not. It's hard. It's hard to pull that switch, That's isn't it? it? It's hard to pull. <laughs> the, you're standing there. It's all warm. You're like, yeah, okay. I could just push that over, and it'll be cold. So I go to like. But why would I do that? Lukewarm on the warm side, and then I'm like, I tap out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a buddy who uh, gets up at 6 a.m. every morning and takes freezing cold showers. And then meditates for an hour. Yeah, he's hardcore. He's been doing that for years. Probably pretty years. healthy too. He is pretty healthy. He is. Last time I saw him, he was very healthy. Um, 
you know, other than his very fucked up marriage, which I think the stress of a fucked up marriage will just Outweigh completely else, yeah. ruin all those cold showers. You do everything healthy, but you're still going to have a fucked up marriage. But <laughs> it's got, you, there's a price to pay, right? Yeah, it's high. It's a high price. Uh, so then we went. So anyway, we hung out in that, uh, that beach for a while, and then we got a room at a place called Isla. Yeah. And uh, spent three nights there and went to the prehistoric cave art. We spent a whole day, went to three caves. I slept in between them and on the way there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was hurting. I but I woke you up for the caves. Yeah, it was yeah, great. Yeah. So what what were your impressions of the the prehistoric caves? Well, so we got into an area. This is my first time out of country, and I speak no español, no habla español. Uh, and so this was my first time where Chris was the only English-speaking person I had now for two days into this now. And uh, so I was kind of missing out on some of the cave stuff, but it also allows you a chance to take it in and maybe a different perspective that you wouldn't have. Oh, you mean because the guides were speaking Spanish? Yeah, 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 and Chris was good about, you know, give me the bullet points and and such but uh really it was the third cave we went to i'll let you talk El, about El Pendo. Yeah, yeah that was the one that really was like and it was just the two of us and the guy that was even better but um that's when it really started to hit like wow the the the, the impact of uh standing well we're in a cave with the the neanderthals were in forty thousand years ago yeah well as much as eighty five thousand years ago somebody was yeah. in whether it was neanderthals or Cro-Magnon, I guess there's no way to really know, but yeah, it's incredible. Now, I think the oldest uh, cave art we saw was 35,000 okay. years. Yeah. That was the the hands mm -hmm. um, that you've probably seen images of them there. It's They put their hand against the wall and then they blow uh, red ochre iron, iron oxide, oxide yeah. dust through a a bird's bone yep. that's hollow. Yep. They blow it around their hand and then they take their hand away so there's a negative uh, impression of the hand on the cave wall. And those are at least 35,000 years old because the guide explained that the way they date it is they, sometimes there's, um, there's a leakage, some water leaking into the yeah. cave and it leaves a mineral deposit over the ochre. And they, because they, they can't date the ochre, there's mm -hmm. no, there's no way to do that. But somehow they can look at the the radioactivity of the mineral deposits and date it that way. So they know that the mineral deposit is thirty five thousand years old. So they know that the the image of the hand is older than that. Yeah, at least that. So it could be fifty, sixty, seventy. Yeah. No one knows, but at least thirty five thousand years old. And then we saw the other art which was animals bison mm -hmm. and horses and deer and all deer. that um, a lot of horses that was a, the predominant a lot of horses, horses yeah. yeah and that was those were between 15 and 25,000 yeah. years old so here's what what really blew my mind that I, I hadn't really thought about uh, when I'd visited the caves previously that whoever went in there and ended up drawing the bison and the horses and the deer and all that they found those handprints and those handprints had been there 10, 15, 20, 25,000 yeah. years. They had been in there as long when those guys got in. Those handprints had been there as long as the horse images have been in there now. Yeah, yeah. So imagine how my, and they didn't know how long they'd been in there. They might have just thought, they might have thought that that was like, 
a natural feature of the stone or something. Right. You know, who knows what they thought? Right. Yeah, no, it's, um, it, who knows what we thought? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what I thought, yeah. much less what they thought. Well, these ones were discovered, rediscovered, uh, early 1900s, or late 1800s. Well, different caves, there were different things, but yeah, around early 1900s, the, the guy who discovered Pendo and also discovered um, Altamira was the same the second, guy. Was that the second? No, we didn't go to Altamira. Okay. Altamira is this big, um, the, the most famous prehistoric cave art in Spain um, that you can't go in the cave anymore. Mm. Um, but they have a reproduction, you know, that you can go to. I thought it was better we go to the ones where you can actually go in the yeah. cave instead of seeing a reproduction of it. So. Yeah, that was, uh, I've seen that, I've been to Lascaux, I, the first one I went to was Neo in, uh, in southern France, and I've been to the two, the first two that we went to, I'd been to those two before, never been to Pendo, the third one, but it never gets, jeez, uh, I was going to say it never gets old. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. I guess I it, apologize for him. It is old, yeah can't help yourself sometimes. So I thought, you know, as a as an innocent, uh, wet behind the ears, uh, wide-eyed American Gringo. tourist, yeah, <laughs> it would be good to start you off with, like, you know, old shit. Because mm -hmm. Americans think Philadelphia is old. And that's my reference point up to this point, Philadelphia, like New York. Like 200 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's old. <laughs> and this is like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't even. I still see it. You need surreal. a calculator to figure out how yeah. much older this is. I'm still having trouble trying to comprehend time. Well, we were in the car talking about it. We're like, okay, Jesus and the Romans is 2,000 years ago. Yeah. So the, the bison are 10, 15 times that far back. Yeah. 10 or 15 times yeah, that far just back. Yeah, think about that. Or you can look at 20,000 years and say, that's a thousand generations. That's a thousand mother to child, mother to yeah. child, mother to child, a thousand times. And that's 20,000 years. 80, holy shit, forget about it. So that's what we saw. Yeah. We were there. It's incomprehensible. The third cave. Pendo. Pendo. The fire pit, that was like, yeah, that's where we saw these different layers of carbon from. Right, where people were living there 85,000 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You see the, the, the layers of the fire, the carbon from the ashes, and then you see layers where it's just rock. Mm -hmm. Nobody was there, and it's just dust mm -hmm. or whatever settling over thousands of years, and then somebody else comes in and starts living there for a while. And then the Homo sapiens came in. Yeah. They yeah. had some uh, some art up there, and that was kind of an interesting story because it was like a geologist or something that said, actually found the art, and they didn't believe him. Right, right. So they they had discovered this cave in the early 1900s, I believe. It's called El Pendo, P-E-N-D-O. You can look it up on Wikipedia and correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, the guide said that they had discovered, I think, in the early 1900s, and they found all the artifacts and they found lots of carvings and mm -hmm. uh and stuff like that and so they were excavating that site up there in the front where we saw the different fire levels mm -hmm. and all that um but there was no art and they'd been in there i think he said they'd been in there like close to 100 years so maybe it was late 19th century because they discovered the art in like 97 or yeah, something yeah 97 in the back of the cave and it was 
um, they had found another um, a site, Bronze Age site, where there were some artifacts, and the archaeologists were there, and there was a a guy who was in charge of sort of um, studying the geology of the rock, and he saw something on one of the rocks, um, a little red color, and he told the archaeologist that he thought he saw some art, and they all scoffed at him because they'd been working in there for a hundred years and nobody they knew had it ever all. seen any art. Yeah. So a guy comes in with a different perspective, right? And sees it, and it, and and it, I look at it, and it's like, how could you not see this? But then he, he later described the the guy to, uh, described that there's a process of taking some of the right. It had been covered by those yeah. mineral deposits. Yeah. Right. But this uh, this geologist saw it clear as day, apparently. Right. Right. So Justin and I in the car on the way back, we were thinking, um, in addition to talking about this trip to Spain, we do like a little sort of combo. Uh, I don't know if I'll release this as a as a Roma episode mm -hmm. or just a regular episode. Probably, I don't know, Roma, I guess. I don't know what yeah. we'll do. We'll figure it out. Um, uh, because I, I read him some of the emails that were coming in mm -hmm. as we were traveling that uh, Natasha forwarded along. Um, and one of them got, you, you really got stuck on it. You kept returning to it. For a couple of days. <laughs> For a couple of days. Uh, okay, so it was, I don't have it right in front of me, but... Um, little uh, Johnny. <laughs> little Johnny. That's what I refer, who I refer to you as. Okay, so the guy was, he's young. He was like 17 or 18, I yeah. think. He's finishing high school. He's uh, living in the U.S. Um, and he and his family were traveling. I'm, I'm not mentioning any of the particulars. I, I don't want to. I don't remember if if he gave me permission to you know use his name or anything. But um, so he's traveling with his family, and over the summer, I guess, and he met a woman from South America, mm -hmm. a girl, a girl, because yeah. this guy's 17 or 18, so she's also young and. Um, so now he's about to graduate from high school, and he wants to take uh, a year off. What do they call that? A gap year. Yeah. And he his plan is he wants to go to Colombia. Oh, I gave it away. Mm -hmm. Well, the woman's from Colombia. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's okay. He wants to go to describe the story to Colombia and and spend his year off with this woman and uh, or girl, and his parents aren't into it. Yeah. And uh, so he was sort of asking for some advice, like, what what should I do? Justin, what should you do? Well, I think somewhere uh, is a, there's an answer in there. It sounds like parents want you to run off to college. See, nobody told me growing up, you know, and I came from, if you listen to the episode, from a pretty chaotic home, and uh, I was just focused to get out of that, and so I worked and worked and worked. And so I'm just at a point now where in life where I'm trying to you know, uh, start traveling and and slow it down a little bit. So, uh, but nobody told me that you could taste leave school. You know, after after school's done, take a year off and go work and go travel and just go gain that perspective. And you can come back to college. Um, I don't think that's a bad option. And so, I don't know if necessarily we we, we talked. You know, I was talking with Chris that necessarily chasing that girl down for a year is the best option. Um, but I think you should get out and go travel. Hmm. I would. I mean, if you got the the ability to do it, go for it. Okay, but would he would would you tell him to go travel to see that woman or to do something else? Well, I would go do something else. Really? You're gonna meet, well, you're going to meet lots of women out there. If you're going to go, if you need to go see this girl, 
we'll plan on going down there for a couple of weeks or something, but I wouldn't commit to staying there for a year. And I certainly wouldn't, I, you need to go out on your own a little bit, because um, she'll be there for you if, if that's meant to be. But you gotta, you're at a great point in your life to go find yourself. And you're not gonna do that if you, if you take a girl along or go chase a girl for a year. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, you know, when you're that age, you can't imagine that, how do you say this? It's like you don't know the things you don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're 18, 19, whatever. Look at a seven-year-old. Next time you're walking down the street, you see a seven or eight-year-old kid. Look at that kid and think of how much bigger your perspective mm -hmm. on life is than that kid's, right? Mm -hmm. That kid goes to his fourth grade class and there's some kid in the class who gives him a hard time and he thinks the world's ending. He yeah. thinks it's it's fucking disaster. But you know, as a 20-year-old, that nobody it doesn't matter what happens in fourth grade. Don't take that shit seriously. Yeah. You'll get through that and you'll be fine and you'll go to high school and whatever, right? So now transpose to like my age, 50-something, or your age, 30-something, and you look at a 17-year-old kid, and it's like, dude, you're like that 7-year-old. Yeah. There's so much you don't know, and there's so many things you're taking way too seriously simply because your perspective is limited to what you've experienced, and, and that's natural. There's no, I, I'm not condemning it, but you don't want to be making major lifelong decisions um, based on assumptions that intellectually you know aren't true like this isn't the only woman who will ever love you mm -hmm. i know it feels that way when you're 17 right you can't imagine it's going to happen again but it does <laughs> again well, there's and always again. That, that hope for that you know marry your high school sweetheart that oh romantic but what of, a disaster it, it's the, the odds of that working out are very 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 low <laughs> Well, and if they do work out, and then you spend your whole life wondering what you're missing. Yeah, I guess uh, there's probably some people that are naive enough that not that you know it doesn't happen. But I think that's a a very rare breed. Um, and these days, I and mean, my parents were high school sweethearts, yeah, and they've been married, yeah. and I think and they're quite happy. But that was then. Mm -hmm. This is a whole different world now. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we're both saying yes to the travel, yep. no to the romantic, I'm going to go live in Colombia and, you know, get her. Yeah, work. don't go visit her first either. And also, okay, here's really important. Do not get her pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Do not. Or anybody. Or anybody. Yeah. But, yeah, I all mean, you. if it you're everybody. if you're young and you're going out and you want to adventure and all that, good luck, have fun, but... Condoms. Yeah, so Condoms. this is the responsibility of the girls, too. Going through this, I'm not going to get too personal, but uh, it uh, was somebody close to my life that's coming of age, and um, that's a conversation I've had with her is that it's, uh, it's a girl's responsibility. Through the years, I've always been surprised at when, the, in the heat of the moment, that the girls were um, willing to have sex without a condom, and I was always, I always brought them. That was always big for my dad died of AIDS, if you listen to the episode of, that I did earlier with Chris, but... Um, so girls, boys, use them. Use them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Especially with Colombian girls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to see some other Colombian girls down there. They're gonna, there are a lot of <laughs> Colombian girls in Colombia. Yeah. I haven't been. I've just heard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, here's here's uh, an email I thought was interesting from Stuart. Hey, Chris, what are your opinions on cultivating a trade? 
I'm 27, I have a degree in sociology. However, like most fools who waste their time in a four-year degree, I was left with little options after graduation. I've since started working on custom motorcycles and spend most of my days turning a wrench. Uh, rich people pay me well so they can look cool or go faster. My older brother is a blacksmith. He works long hours doing skilled manual labor. I know you aren't a fan of wasting time for other people, but both my brother and I are happy doing this. Maybe it's the act of creation. Do you think young Americans are missing out on the joy of creating lasting works of art and craftsmanship? Are trade options undervalued in modern mm -hmm. society? Yes, yes to all this. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think... It's a shame, too. It is a shame. I think, I, I think there's an incredible amount of satisfaction that you can get from making something, whether it's a rock wall or a house or a sculpture mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever, uh, whatever it is that blacksmiths make these days. Well, we've, no seen, we've seen it. I mean, this, this country is full of relics of... Yeah. I mean, driving through the countryside, there's these... Not a hillside untouched. It's been cultivated for thousands of years. And these walls that are built there in the Roman times, you know, yeah. and and so, um, but the, the detail in these buildings here, like that, we're, we're supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to have putting our aircraft into it. We've gotten away at least yeah. in the states, you know, everything's thrown together. And yeah, things aren't no, meant to last in the states. No, consume, yeah, throw away. Now that and that brings us back to relationships too. Do you think we have the same attitude toward relationships in the states that we have toward construction in general? I think it's just our whole systems that, yeah, I think it's representative in every every part of our system. Everything's disposable and replaceable and either right or left or yes or no, black or white, disposable. Yeah, it's all consume. Consume, get a new yeah. one, throw away the throw old away. one, get a new you one. You know, like we were talking when, um, when did we get those those kicker checks from the government, like 2010 or something? No, oh, the Bush stimulus. Bush, yeah, stimulus tax. Uh, or stimulus I like the tax. phrase Bush stimulus. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> but we uh, I think we all got like $400 back and I just remember the time thinking like this is stupid this is all just so that we can go to Walmart and buy cheap shit to throw away yeah and that's their stimulus package it's stimulating China's oh. economy not ours that's what I could never understand about it yeah all this you know we're going to stimulate the economy and by giving people money they're going to spend buying Chinese shit how yeah. does that stimulate the American economy I don't mm. I don't quite get that. So yeah, blacksmith. So I, um, I, my first job, I worked at a, at a logging company in the shop, and you know, clean the shop up, push the broom around, that kind of deal. But I'd uh, always kind of tinker around on lawnmowers and stuff growing up. And my my stepdad at the time had he was a mechanic, so he had a tool set. So I'd get into his tools and I'd tinker on stuff a lot. And so I uh, I still do. I do all my maintenance and repairs on my car and. Uh, there's a beauty to that. We were talking about this last night, that Spanish men, you know, learning the difference between Spanish women and American women and Spanish men and American men. But the Spanish men here are, like you were saying, they just don't, they don't know yeah. everything. Yeah, well, that, that's something that in the States there's more respect for do-it-yourself uh, kind of stuff. It, it's seen as, um, you know, more of a sort of an integral aspect of masculinity that you know mm -hmm. how to at least fix some shit around the house, you mm -hmm. know. Um, it's and getting it, worse there. I would, well, there's two sides, I guess. There's kind of, you see on the Discovery Channel, there's like these, a lot of these shows. Are, right, they're celebrating that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But there's also, which is it, cool. A lot of the guys now that 
they don't know how to get off their phone long enough to even open the hood up to see. You know, it used to be if you, if you say you're out on a date, your car broke down. At least you pulled off, you opened the hood, pretended to take a look and see. <laughs> uh, maybe you tinker with Just this. Got to tighten oh, the I can't. No, I got yeah. it on the right tool or something. Yeah. 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 But now, <laughs> what do you do? You, you you fire up your phone and call for help. Triple A, baby. And usually, if you're on the freeway, you stop right in the middle of the lane and fuck everything. Of course. Yeah. Call the fireman. Yeah. Call uh, Justin yeah. of Portland, <laughs> Poseidon's favored son. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Justin's a fireman. For those of you who don't know why I'm Bombardo. saying that, a bombero. Bombero. <laughs> I'm having trouble with the pronunciation. So you're a captain, right? You're a lieutenant. boss, a lieutenant. Yeah, yeah. What's the difference? Depends on the department, but uh, yeah, for us, it's a. Uh, uh, every station has there's only one captain per station oh, so that's okay. station captain and then the other officers are lieutenants so you run the crew yeah yeah and then I'm the like, other guys are like privates it's firefighters Fire so I've got a, a driver paramedic right we're all EMTs so you sort of have part of the military hierarchy but not all of it yeah yeah, yeah. and it works there's a reason for that yeah it's funny you know I, I think sometimes it, there's a lot of areas of my job I don't need to be the boss per se um, and I've got a good crew that they like to work and they take pride in their job. Um, but there are times when you have to be. And so that that system's necessary. You know, times of battle or times of, like for us, fires. Or, right. Like someone has to follow. Someone has to make a decision. Right. Do you ever have, you ever have a situation where you, you might say, okay, go do this, and the guy would be like, no. No, no, I'm not going in there. No, I've been in that situation, but not so much on the structure side. That was more wildland side. Where you uh, felt like the fire was going to, the wind was going to yeah, turn or yeah. something? Yeah, for sure. There was a couple times that, um, like when I was running crews, that, yeah, they wanted us to get in some positions that I didn't. I and how does, like. that, how does that play out? I mean, the military, you get fucking shot. Well, so it used to be you didn't really say anything. and that, do it. So in 2001, uh, a guy that I knew had fought fires with, um, him and three others were killed up in Washington on a fire. And th some of that came into play. And so one of the, the rules that came out after that, that we had to, especially as bosses, um, adhere to, was that somebody could refuse. There was a proper... Uh, 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 system that you know or, or orders to follow to, to refuse an order and um, if so if you give them that order and somebody went through the proper and it was and actually we carried a little notebook and it had that so and and so in my case uh, I didn't do that I just pretty much told the guy to fuck off because I wasn't working for them we that were, doesn't sound like the proper procedure well but he was a cowboy he was just and so I just said that you couldn't you, the red hats because that was his crew all red hats so you can tell them what to do but mm. we're gonna i'm not going up there right and it wasn't you know it just it didn't make sense tactically to what he wanted us to do what we needed to do was line the bottom we had a fire on a steep hillside and it was kind of fingering and it was actually burning down which is an advantage but um but it was fingering out so he wanted us to go up and kind of cut line along his fingers and the best thing to do, you know, it's just too steep, and um, it wasn't really a fire issue. The, the, the problem was you could have some fire coming down if the winds changed or something. But um, for footing and safety, it wasn't. It just didn't make sense. The best case is get to the bottom of the hill, line it, and just burn it out, burn mm. the whole hillside out. Right. So that's what we end up doing, anyhow. And did that come back to bite you later at all? No. He never? No, he didn't really have the position to. Right, right. 
Yeah, because I, I can imagine situations would come up where, you know, somebody would say, okay, go in there, and you're looking at it like, no, that roof's about to fall down. I'm yeah. not going in there. I'm not taking my guys in there. Yeah, yeah, and that's fine. I mean, that's what part of my job is, is to evaluate those criteria, because it's, mm -hmm. you know, for us, it's, um, you know, on the wildland side, things run a little bit slower, not to say that things don't speed up at times, but on the structure side, you know, we got to get moving now, so that's why we have our gear on, our pack on, and Right. The hose is ready to go, and we're in within seconds. So we don't have as much time to sit back and kind of evaluate all the right. the factors. Right. Um, so are, are you guys in radio communication? Yeah, yeah. Everybody, but radio, yeah, radio. So that's usually my job is I talk on the radio and uh -huh. and stuff. And so because my guys get task oriented, you know, when you're and so I'm on a ladder truck, and then on a ladder truck we do um, we pull up to a fire. Our first mission is to pop all the doors, so forcible entry. So whether it be commercial or residential or whatever, we have to, you know, we open the doors and um, and it's all about getting that first line in place. You know, th that's what puts the fire out 95% of the time. Mm. And so all our job is to support getting that line in place. So we'll, we'll force entry while the, the the engine guys are getting the line out. And you and use we, those, those, those things, those... Well, we have like, we have different tools. We have like the Halligan is kind of our favorite, our go-to. What's that? It's a, it's a forceful entry tool um, yeah. that we pair with an ax. Yeah. And you can open up just about anything with a halogen. But on the truck, we have a few other tools, that, quite a few other tools. Do you ever have to get into a bank or someplace like that? Or a vault? Um, no. But we get some weird stuff like industrial stuff where guys will get caught in machinery and then, you know, we've got another crew that can come out, our heavy rescue squad can come out and they carry. So the trucks carry like the extrication tools. So like when somebody's trapped in a car. Uh -huh. We carry all that and stuff, but if it's like a, a real technical rescue, then they have like cutting torches and right. different kinds of saws and and stuff like that. And they come out, but but so back to the truck, the um, the force entry, search and rescue, and then ventilation. And so you'll see us doing usually going in, you know, above the the head of the the hose line and, and doing the searches and pulling people out. But that's uh, so my job, you know, from the guys doing the, you know, actually breaking the doors in or pulling the hose line, and all that. They're they get they lose a big perspective, and so my job is to sit back and watch the the bigger perspective and and make those decisions. So yeah, if it's like you know we're not going to go in there, that's my call. So big uh, a big issue for firemen must be what to do with the cat that's stuck up in the tree. Yeah, El Gato. <laughs> El Gato, your vocabulary is really growing slowly. Yeah. Uh, well, I've like I. I tell everybody, I've never seen a cat skeleton in the tree, so if they can climb up it, they'll come down. Yeah. They just don't like you. That's why they don't want to <laughs> come down. That's why they're up there. Yeah. They just don't want to deal yeah. with you. <laughs> so, they'll come down, I promise. Yeah, they eventually come down. It could be days later. Yeah, they'll get stuck in, like, walls or crawl spaces, stuff uh, like that. Yeah. Then we'll go save them. Enough from a tree, though. No, never. Never? Really? So no, I mean, for sure. Little kid calls, calls and you're just saying, hey, kid. It'll come down. You're out of luck. Yeah. Forget it. Okay, uh, let's move on to, uh, here's an email from Zach. Uh, oh, wait a minute. What is this? I'm okay, here we go. Um, da -da 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 uh, I feel extraordinarily grateful and privileged and a little bit silly to even be struggling with the problem Oh wait, this is this. I see. He's responding. He's he's talking about an earlier one. Okay, um, here we go. Here's his problem. My generation, and particularly those of us at college, cannot handle having free time. 
I'm not talking about the kind of free time you spend with some friends, checking out a cafe or whatever. I'm talking about true goofing off summers between elementary school, might as well take a nap free time. Uh, I felt like you were a good person to reach out to about this because you're uniquely bold in your logical pursuit of the hammock lifestyle. <laughs> uh, uh, on Joe's podcast, you talk about how you've been trying to avoid a job, da-da-da-da-da, okay. So, the best way I can explain this is that both myself and my peers feel that we have a responsibility to spend each consecutive minute of the day in the most valuable possible way. This is normally a great drive to make good use of one's time, but more and more seems to warping it into its flip side, a pathological fear of letting time go by without spending it valuably. I thought that was an interesting, interesting point because we do see, you know, we see all these you know admonitions to live every day like mm -hmm. it's your last and you know life is so short and oh my god you know you got to get out there and you know carpe fucking diem mm -hmm. right that's my yeah. slogan right and yet if you take that too seriously cause anxiety on the other you're, you're uptight and you're running around like a lunatic so i've struggled with that end have you yeah because i think that you know my dad died young and then i've seen a lot of death through the years and work and stuff and you know just life happens and so I've wanted to travel that's been a big thing um, and I'm afraid that I'm gonna die before I'm 37 now and that's it seems like yesterday I graduated high school yeah you know and so I get a little anxiety on, on the opposite end um, so it's it's it the answers in the middle there right you can uh, it's great to say that I'm gonna live every single moment and, but I think that you got to sometimes just not know what you're gonna do the next moment yeah well i don't know if you remember we were in um in isla one night we were talking about this and i i said how a lot of you know people listen to me on the podcast or or on joe's podcast or whatever and think that i'm some sort of you know great traveler because i've been to all these places right. but the truth is most of the times i'll go to some place i'll find a cool little village or you know whatever a spot that i like and then I'll just sit around Under there, there. Mm -hmm. you know, and I'll just like, you know, hang out there. I mean, I found this place, Pushkar in India. I spent about six weeks just mm -hmm. chilling there. I didn't want to leave mm -hmm. um, until I sort of had to because I, I shut down the wall of the palace. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it took to get me out of Pushkar. His time was up. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to the Toma episode. Uh, that was a good story. That's I don't know which favorites. episode it is, but it's one of those episodes. Um, disgusting. It's, it is disgusting. It's terrible, <laughs> but, you know, these things happen. Uh, yeah, so, so you know, on the one hand, I've approached life saying, like, God, I want to get out there. I want to see shit. Mm -hmm. I want to go places. I want to do things. And yeah. But then when I get out there, most of what I want to do is just hang out, mm -hmm. you know? So I, right. yeah, I want to go to Thailand. That doesn't mean that I want to, you know, explore every corner of Thailand and eat absolutely every Thai dish. Well, and when you picked me up at the airport, the couple we first talked to. Yeah, exactly. We were driving, we were coming back into Barcelona from the airport and there was a couple we were chatting with and they were, I asked them if they wanted any information about Barcelona and I told them about a couple day trips they could do and some things. And then it turned out they were only going to be here like 24 hours and they were like going to be in Paris Doing and it London. Yeah. They're going to be in nine countries in 14 days or something. Yeah. What a waste of fucking time. Yeah. Far better to find a village like the one we went to and sit there for mm -hmm. five days and talk to some people and, 
you know, see where the locals go and, and, you know, hang out, just hang out. So my idea of travel is, like you said, it's in the middle. It's yeah. go somewhere interesting and then relax. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so that, is that, there's the answer. Is well, that yeah, I think, like I said, it's just that it is in the middle because you'll find anxiety on either end of that. And as Americans, we tend to, that's how we are. We're either right, left. Right. Up, down. Get off your fucking sofa, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And but find something, like, that's one thing I always describe about hunting, and one thing, especially like turkey hunting, where I have to sit in a blind for, you know, hours at a time. You'll get so, when you're just sitting there, and, and, and for those that like nature, like, love hiking and stuff like that, just go sit down for, like, an hour, you know, or, yeah. or get out there an hour before sunrise and just sit there and don't make a move. And you'll hear the different layers of animals wake up. You right. know, you'll get you'll get life will slow down so much that you'll hear a tree drop or a leaf drop, and it'll put you on alert. Right. And that's like I, I'm not good about meditating, but for me that's probably one of the closest ways I can do it. And it's just it's it's it naturally is forced upon you. But right. So I think you know maybe some stuff like that because um, when you say that you're going to make it a point to live in every you know capture every minute, I've tried to also, and I I found anxiety at that that in so well and also uh you the thing is you can't capture minutes yeah minutes are going to slip through yeah. your fingers yeah. no matter what you do and i think that a lot of life um and we've talked about this the last few days um americans make everything about work yeah everything becomes a job right. i mean i remember recently i think i probably mentioned this on the podcast i was in a restaurant in in the states and um the waitress came over and she said, are, uh, can I take this or are you still working on it? Mm -hmm. It's like... You've got a meal i got to work on. That's a salad. I wasn't working on it. Right. I was nibbling on it. Yeah. You know, I was chewing on it, but I sure as fuck wasn't working on it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's America. Everything's work. You know, there's the dignity of work and work for its own sake and the work ethic. That's a bunch of fucking bullshit, man. There's no... I don't think there's any dignity in work. There's dignity in doing something that's worth doing. Productive. But if it's breaking rocks because you got sentenced to 10 years of hard labor, there's no dignity in that. Right. Um, or if it's, you know, making widgets on a fucking factory line, don't don't believe there's any dignity in that either. You're what he's saying, though, don't slave. be confused because he's not saying that you have an excuse to be lazy. I'm not. I'm saying, I'm saying don't drink the fucking work for its own sake is fantastic Kool-Aid yeah. because that's that's the propaganda given to you by the factory owners yep. who just want you to think you're not wasting your life making them rich. So you just enough carrot to keep you Right, just just enough to but keep you But not enough to keep you yeah. happy. Um, but on the other side uh, yeah, don't sit on your don't waste your life sitting on a fucking sofa playing video games either. Waiting get out there and do shit. Yeah, you gotta get moving, you gotta get that's one thing I've seen over the years and with human, I've, I've gotten into a lot of people's homes and in their personal spaces and seen their you know some of their their personal struggles um but we're, we're we need to we're, we're wired to be able to get up in the morning and do something productive right so you, you know when you go to sleep that evening that you can a human that loses that is a really sad human being and, and we kind of there's a lot of ways i think that we we um set people up for that failure in the stage especially old people yeah yeah and it's uh so you you, you know just remember that you need to get up and 
go do something productive. Go do something. You're, you're going to be miserable if you don't. And and you know what? If you're if you're retired or you're lucky enough that you have enough money, you don't need to get a job. Volunteer. Yeah. And don't and you know I can hear people like scoffing, like oh volunteer, what good is that? I'm not going to. It's not for the people you're helping. It's for you. Yeah. You're the one who's going to get more of a benefit from it than the people on the other mm -hmm. end. You go volunteer in a hospice. I, I read a thing recently um, that uh, it was a study in Canada of people who, who worked in hospices, and their anxiety levels were far lower than the average person. Yeah. And this is someone who's going every day and working with dying people, yeah. and their anxiety level is lower. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because they're actually seeing the thing that the rest of us are afraid to even look at. So we're imagining it. Mm -hmm. We're the, the, the kids imagining the monster under the bed. They're the kids who get out of bed, turn on the flashlight, and look under the yeah. bed and see, okay, yeah. it's a little dirty under there, but there's no monster. Right, right. Yeah. It's perspective. That might the theme of this podcast, perspective. Perspective, motherfucker. Yeah. Well, that's what it is, though. But that's what you have to go do those things to change that perspective. Right. You're not going to do it in your comfort zone. Right. Right. So you were saying, you know, you've several times you've noticed things about Spain that seemed um, advantageous and, and interesting and beautiful. But but you you often say you just don't see the freedom there. The freedom. Yeah. There's no freedom. Well, you're here in the, you know the states, and I was raised Republican, and I even voted for Bush. What? I know, I know. You voted for that was Bush? my first election. Yeah, I think I was eighteen. You were an eighteen-year-old who voted for George Bush. Yeah, I grew up in a. That, this is before my Jesus perspective Christ, changed. Man. Man. All right, I gotta, I gotta rethink this. Whole I know. Thing, I man. shouldn't have said that. Fuck. You've been sleeping on my terrace the last I few know. nights. And his hammock too, by the way. I've been sleeping in my hammock. Great. Um, where was I going with that again? Uh, freedom. Freedom. Yeah. And so, you know, socialism and all this stuff, how it's this evil word, it's like, it's like a, an attack word, you know? And, um, but you come here and the average person's doing pretty good, you know, and, and we hear about tax rates and yeah, they're paying 40%, 50% tax, whatever their taxes is here. Um, it's, you know, it's around that area. But I think last year I'm paying like 38, almost 40% taxes. And it's like, I start looking around and seeing what are they getting with the services they're getting? And yeah, there's pros and cons. Maybe there's some of their healthcare is not as great as ours in some areas, but I'm just telling you that the, the energy here and just seeing the health, just right off the bat when I got here, and I was talking to Cassie about this, was uh, just there's a lack of inflammation, less inflammation in people. Inflammation. Inflammation. Right. You can just see it. There's a puffiness. There's a, you can see in people's eyes, and it's you know, mm. almost a lethargy to them. In America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and for one, you know, we saw, I saw probably my like the closest to an obese person I've seen yet, in a week, and that was just a little bit ago. We were out for a walk next to the KFC. He had a KFC bucket, yeah, <laughs> and he was sitting there with that look. Yeah, he's probably an American tourist. Um, but yeah. so the average person here is doing pretty good, you know. It's just the uh, the culture is different, and uh, and I, and it's frustrating because I. I don't understand why we can't have it in the states. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we should be able to have it. We, of course, we should be able to have it's it. We're, we're paying more. You yeah. talked about the health care. We pay like double per person in the U.S. what they pay here. And you say, well, maybe it's not as good. Well, yeah, if you're getting like you know experimental, uh, cutting edge surgery for some rare disorder, because you're afraid to die. It's probably yeah, because you're a 78 year old <clears throat> millionaire. 
It's probably yeah, you're going to get that in in the, you know in the, the U.S. But if you're here, everybody has health care. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. So nobody's walking around stressed out. You know, yeah. What if I? What What if my wife gets sick? And you know, are we going to lose our house? No, you're not going to lose your house. Nobody loses their house because they get sick, yeah. or their kid gets sick, or there's a pre-existing condition. Nobody. It doesn't happen here. So that removes such a huge worry, you yeah. know, that or, or reality of people who are living in their cars because they lost their fucking house paying for, you know, chemo mm -hmm. for the wife who died anyway. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there, there's, it's pretty major. And, and as you say, the tax rates really aren't that much different. The difference is that in the U.S., the tax money's going to... Bombs. Bombs. Airplanes, you know. Uh, to deliver freedom. To deliver freedom That's to the world who's not asking for freedom. it. Freedom. Yeah, yeah. I can't a lot of times hear Chris over the sound of my freedom. <laughs> his whining, his whining and crying. There's a lot America. of freedom coming out. You know, the other thing that this guy's email made me think of is, um, you know, when I go to the States now and visit, you know, my cousins or, or people I know who have kids, it seems like their kids' lives are so programmed. Yeah. You talk about anxiety. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, uh, it's just like, you know, after school, you go to do this thing, and then I pick you up, and I take you to your dance class, and then I pick you up, and I take you to this, and the parents are stressed because it's a fucking taxi service, and the kids are like, you know, okay, I do this, I do that, I do the other thing, then I do my homework, then I have dinner, then I do more homework, and then I go to bed, and then I get up, and then mm -hmm. it's like... What, you're already working in a factory, kid, well, they're, yeah, and they're you're like working, 12 years old. They're ready to go stimulate the economy. Yeah. You know, that's Could, what we're setting them up Right, because you're not going to get into an Ivy League school if you don't, you know, it's if you don't get them. worry of the future, Jesus too. Christ. Yeah. yeah you, if this you doesn't get fall in place, on the that's wheel. not going to happen. Then that's not going to, then he's going to, you know. Right, right. He's probably going to be okay, actually. Yeah, definitely. You know he's probably going to be okay. Here Or, or not. And, right. and this isn't going to matter one way or the other, right. you know. Yeah, yeah, stress. And we were talking about teenagers recently, you know, American teenagers, mm -hmm. and you were saying how there's a lot of anxiety. Oh, and, my gosh. You know, people are just, of course, because they're, they're, their lives are so programmed. Yeah, it's an expect. we're having these expectations of them and a pace of them that's not, it's completely against their, their normal and their natural being. Right, right. Yeah, I think people definitely need time to fuck off. Yeah. Especially young people. Yeah. You need time to fuck up. Well, that's when your brain, the creative side of your brain, to, you know, I mean, that's the, yeah. what a missed opportunity to explore that. Right. There's a lot of things that I, I've, you know, I've learned how to play the guitar poorly uh, as I've gotten older. I never played sports growing up, um, but I've been trying to kind of learn some of those. And mountain biked as I, after, uh, when I was in college, I used to mountain bike quite a bit and jiu-jitsu and stuff now. But there's, there's a lot of these things, like, I've never... They're all new to me, and I wish I could have learned them at least had a touch of them as a child, right. especially the creative side of things. Right. You know, the, the certain things I did touch on, I can see come easier now. Yeah. Um, um, Zach, I, I do want to just say that Zach then followed up because I wrote to him and I said, yeah, we'll talk about this on the podcast. And then he followed up and he said, you know, I want to make it clear um, that I know, like, I sound like a whiny little bitch here, that I'm complaining about, you know, we don't know how to handle free time, right? right? So he's, he's aware of how lucky he is and what a luxury it is to even have any free time. Right, right. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of people, including a lot of kids, are working their asses off from dawn till dusk in the world, and, th you know, this isn't an issue they have to even Yeah, well, and I think about. you're on the right path, Zach, because, it's, you know, you're, 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 you're looking at a different perspective and you're owning already that you're not... 
Yeah. You're not trying to sound like a whiny bitch. And so yeah. you're uh, you're on the right path, dude. Keep it up. Yeah. Okay, here's one from uh, a woman whose name I probably shouldn't use. Um, this past year, I fell in love with someone who's married. Mm. Mm. And he with me. Mm. Mm. To further complicate things, he's admitted these feelings to both his wife and his parents. Uh, he, his wife, and I have all been intimate on one occasion. Mm. Ooh, hot three-way. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> she actually used to date a woman. Okay, so the wife is ostensibly bi. Mm. Um, although his wife has said she no longer wants all three of us to be intimate in a sexual way, I have since slept over at their house several times, sometimes in their bed, and have felt that I was fulfilling something emotional that was missing in their marriage. They were both so receptive to me. I have feelings for them both and could honestly picture myself as part of their family. Sadly, this is not how society is set up around here. She doesn't say where she lives, but obviously not San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, or none, Portland. Or Portland. Nonetheless, this possibility of fitting into their family became so real that we, we tried to approach the topic of polyamory with his wife. Uh, long story short, it backfired. His wife is now aware of the depth of his feelings for me and has retreated and blocked me out of her life. I accept this. Most spouses would react this way. It's their marriage, not mine. There are also children involved here. I've decided to leave them both alone to either figure out their shit or live in denial about it forever. It just seems odd to me how seamlessly I fit into their family for a while. The whole situation has turned my idea of marriage upside down. I've seen how lonely two people who live together can be. Uh, this has led me to ponder some big questions. How can people be open-minded about human nature while staying committed to each other? Is it possible to be too open-minded about relationships? How do people keep boundaries in their marriage? What benefits does one get from being married as opposed to just dating exclusively? Uh, is there a certain type of person who can emotionally deal with open relationships and polyamory? There's a lot of questions. A lot there. of questions in there. Yeah, that's a big that's a big situation she got herself into. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to that. It sounds like. Yeah. Um, I think you're doing the right thing by getting. You just need to get out of there. And yeah, I know it's going to hurt some feelings and uh, your own. Well, mainly hers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. that's going to be the hardest, but you can do it. You'll be fine. Yeah. Um, that happens. It's a normal feeling. Yeah. You just got to do it. Um, but you got to yeah. respect that and get out of there. Yeah, I, I mean, and who knows, maybe maybe by showing her respect for the marriage, that will give the wife space sure. to relax and understand that this isn't actually a threat. Right. Um, a lot of communication needs to go on between the wife and husband. The wife and the husband, yeah. Especially after all this, they just... Need to let the dust settle, probably. But it's yeah. going to take a lot of communication. Yeah. So you need to give that time. Yeah. You force that. You're, you're. There's no chance of this happening. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it's probably understandable. It's definitely understandable that the wife has that sort of defensive reaction. There are kids involved, mm -hmm. as she says, and so anytime there are kids involved, you're going to get Mama, Mama Bear. Mama Bear. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, so you have to be really respectful of that and very unthreatening. And it sounds like
they sort of dropped this on the wife like the husband was playing a bit of a game where it's like oh it's no big deal just a th- yeah. you know, just a friend and da, da, da. and then suddenly like oh by the way I love her and I want her to be my second wife like uh what right that's not the way you do this yeah and I don't know what the timeline was there and how it, but there's a process for that too if that is yeah. how it feels you know yeah um sounds like everybody's learning that's the unfortunate thing yeah you know well, it, and also it's it's difficult because we live in a society, as she says, yeah. where this isn't how these things uh, play out. So there's no template. Like yeah. people don't know how to do this. How how do you, you know, there are lots of societies where a man's married and uh, has a wife, and then he finds another woman, and mm-hmm. there's there's a culturally understood way to talk to your first wife about the possibility of bringing her into the family and you know you know in Africa there are lots mm-hmm. of societies where this is sort of common um, and the first wife generally has the veto the first wife can say yes or no to some that's a smart wives. smart decision yeah to have that <laughs> <laughs> to have what the veto yeah she needs to have a little bit of that power yeah yeah because yeah. a man will get you know a woman can see things that a man doesn't and another woman a craziness uh yeah the I, threat that i'm not okay i, I, see, so. I know where you're going with this. i guess it, so. it can it, it, yeah she can also see things that aren't there right you know right yeah so i don't know i but i mean there's a difference between you know there's a big difference between being a husband and being a pimp right yeah so you're not like if you're if you're a pimp then you're just like here's how it is baby right deal with it right. you know if you're a husband and you want to have polyamory and you know respect and her needs are just as important as yours exactly so so then she does have a veto just like you have yeah. a veto if if she tries to bring a guy into the situation in a profound way but yeah you have to there is no of. template so you have to blaze this trail yourselves basically but that's just that that just happens from communicating with each other yeah and you're gonna have some raw deep conversations and it might get painful and all that but uh that's just the only way you can do it that's the template yeah. right there yeah and make up you know figure out what rules you guys need for yourselves yeah there's a book uh called more than two by franklin view i think it is v-i-e-u-x hmm. um and his one of his partners whose name i can't remember right now um, but I, I think I had them on the podcast in Portland. I did have them on the podcast in Portland when I was living there. I don't remember the episode number, but you can check the archives. But look for the book on Amazon, More Than Two. It's, it's a, a good sort of primer on the different types of relationship configurations and some of the issues that are going to come up and the ways to deal with them and so on and so forth. Now, to get to her other question, are there certain kinds of people? I do think that there are different personality types that are more and less uh, aligned with this kind of Mm non-standard relationship thing. Some people are just incredibly threatened by any other outside intimacy. Other people just consider it to be totally normal and, and aren't threatened by it at all. So, yeah, I think there's some advantage in in looking for people, as Reed Mahalko says, you know, date within your tribe. Mm-hmm. Try to find your or your own species, I think he says. Date your own species. So if you're someone for whom strict monogamy is uh, unthinkable, 
then you want to try to date other people who at least uh, are tolerant of that viewpoint, if not share it completely. What about people who live out in the middle of nowhere, small town? You know, you, that's the online thing, yeah. right? I mean, get that, I guess, online dating, you can filter out a lot of people. You yeah. might end up driving to fucking Omaha for your next date, but it's better than but that's what you have Wasting to do your to time. get started and something like that. You know, take the take the foot, you know, do the footwork, and then as you get in there, I think those network, you know, you'll you'll network people, and those opportunities will open up no matter where you're at. I yeah. guess. Yeah. I mean, the, it reminds me of the you know this the uh, you know the lifestyles we call it in the in the states. Right. Kind of reminds me of my dad being gay in the '80s. Right. It was just a little bit behind. Yeah. doors but but it was there yeah yeah and it's it's still there i mean i i spoke at a big swingers conference in vegas there were three thousand couples there imagine yeah, three thousand registered couples plus walk-ins it'd be interesting to see the demographics of where they're from yeah well they're mostly from what i i mean you know i don't have any scientific stuff but anecdotally from the people i met there um they tend to be mostly um upper income yeah. and uh, educated, mostly white, professional. Mm -hmm. So they're your dentists, your doctors, your, you know, your bankers, your, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, again, these are people who could afford to fly to right, Vegas right. for a crazy weekend in the hotel. So, you know, they're dropping a few thousand bucks. So that filters out a bunch of them. Um, but. You know, that's another thing that this woman could could look into is, um, you know, go go check out some swingers uh, parties and things because they're not, you know, it's the kind of thing that if you're if you've never been around those people, you might think, oh, it's really sleazy. And it's like you're imagining some sort of a porn movie from the mm -hmm. 70s. But um, from my experience with these communities, they're extremely respectful, really open-minded, kind people. And especially a single woman would be incredibly welcome. Yeah, I don't think you have any problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not... And also, it's very acceptable in those communities to say, hey, I just want to... If it's cool, I just like to come to the party and, and I'm not going to participate in anything. You know, because mm -hmm. I'm just sort of checking this out. It's, you know, and I'm uncomfortable on my own, whatever. It's very um, possible to, to go on those terms, and nobody's going to uh, be pushing you into No, no, I'm sure somebody will escort you. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure some fireman or something, mm -hmm. some hero. Uh, it's the same thing with the S&M community. You know, it's, you know, people who are outside of it imagine all this kind of nasty, weirdy, weird stuff. But in my experience, again, they're like the most respectful, um, sort of like respectful of rules, you know, right. like yeah. there are all these rules all and rules safe right. words and this and that. It's it's sort of it's, the opposite of what too. people they, think. They police it. Oh, well. yeah. Anyone anyone gets <clears throat> steps out of line. It's they're out. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very self-police kind of organization. Yeah. Um, okay, Did so... Did answer all her questions? Or I, get think, to the I think we got to most of them. I mean, I think the main thing was just like, are there, are there different communities, different types of people for whom this would not be so fucking complicated? Yeah, yeah, and, and like I Chris said, you might need to travel, but you, you can find that online. You need to start reading books. If this is your first experience, it's, was it her first experience with... Uh, she doesn't like say. Yeah. She doesn't say. But starting off with a married couple, that's kind of rough. 
Maybe uh, start off with an established married couple. You'll find that. Like a couple that yeah. have already worked through yeah, these yeah. things. Yeah, not not someone who's just... I mean, any kind of relationship that you just fall into is bound to be a lot messier than something that you walk into knowing what you're walking into. Right. So maybe... Knowing your, knowing your non-negotiables a little bit. You know, whatever. And that might change over time, but you know, up front. Yeah. Figuring out what your non-negotiables are. And, and then don't negotiate them. That's what you said that... I've said it a, a dozen times, times this week. <laughs> it's good advice, though. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the last one. Let's read one more, and then we'll call it a day. Um, this guy says, Daniel, he says uh, he wants to know about about rituals. He says uh, he's referring to Aubrey Marcus's podcast, and mm -hmm. he says that um, Aubrey apparently says that uh, modern ceremonies such as weddings, funerals, birthday parties, etc., are bullshit. He believes that we as humans have lost our way with ceremony and wants to revolutionize the way we conduct ceremonies, reverting back to hunter-gatherer-like ceremonies. Um, and this guy Daniel says, basically, I agree that our modern ceremonies are full of bullshit uh, and have basically become showcases of capitalist ideals with thousands of dollars spent on fancy shit I don't resemble and don't resemble the sincere, beautiful, ancient ceremonies of our ancestors. But he asks, under all that, isn't the same thing happening in these ceremonies? For example, a wedding, as bullshit as most appear these days with the fancy dress, limos, and all that, is still just people gathering, partaking in a ritual, then feasting and dancing. In other words, can we who see the bullshit not try to see past the bullshit and imagine being in a loincloth in the forest, dancing around the fire, etc., etc.? Yeah, well, it's up to you. Yeah, you can. I think that we do lack ceremony and we've lost, you know, I, I grew up in church and... Um, what uh, church? It was a non-denominational, tongue-speaking. Tongue? Speaking. tongue mm -hmm. oh, spoken tongue? Mm -hmm. Did you ever speak in tongues? No. You didn't ever, like, fall on the floor and... No, the, but I, like, they, you know, they'd uh, be anointed in Christ, I think. Oh, really? The guy in the front, would he yeah, get up? Yeah, was yeah. it all, like, crazy preacher screaming stuff? Uh, not, yeah, some, yeah, I mean, not, like, screaming, like, you see on, like, I forget that guy on TV for years, Billy... Billy Graham? No, maybe not Billy Graham. There was another, ah, I can't remember, but... But, yeah, definitely, they, you know, and you'd have these guys come through every once in a while, there'd be a special guest pastor... Some <laughs> preacher, I don't know. It was uh, always so weird to me. But one thing that I that I've missed and have been looking for in the last few years and, and starting to find is uh, community. Hmm. There was one piece about right. that, that, and I remember like as a kid. So our our church, we had like a worship service, and then there was a break, hmm. and they'd drink coffee and tea, whatever, and mingle. And that was like for fifteen twenty minutes, and the kids would go to the daycare, we off their classes, and then they'd have the the sermon. But it was always a challenge for the pastor to get everybody back together because they just wanted to talk, right? You know, right? And I think that's what we we, we miss that because, you know, I said like that's how a church should be is like we can go and have a ceremony, but where everybody's welcome and where you can just start interacting with people that are in the same boat you are and right. seeing their perspective and you're hearing that okay, I'm not all that different and we're going through the same struggles and so there's a benefit to that and I th I think that we we miss that. Yeah. Yeah, I spoke at a place in, in Portland um, that was exactly what you're talking about. It was a, it was a church yeah. in every respect except God. Yeah. There was no like telling anyone what to believe. It and was everybody's just, welcome. Everybody's welcome. They get together every Sunday morning. 
they uh, they had me in as a guest speaker yeah. and uh you know and they all uh have lunch after and and they you know at the beginning it was like okay so doris is moving next weekend anybody who has a truck who can yeah. give her a hand you know she's over there in the corner and hey you know these folks you know they lost their house because you know yeah. so we're raising some money for them it was a real kind of community, community let's yeah. help each other kind mm -hmm. of vibe it was really beautiful mm -hmm. it, was, it was really nice and it was exactly what you're saying it was like can't we have the good parts without the you know the crazy bullshit and you, they did it yeah you and well and you have to find it you know on yourself i guess because you know if you if it's say a marriage yeah there's a lot of bullshit they drive me crazy too but there is something that to be said about you know, and, and take out your opinions on marriage or what that means. And, but something about that, that idea of gathering and there being a ceremony and something special. To, yeah, I was um, just at my sister's a wedding that, a couple know? of weeks ago in, in Malibu, and it was fucking beautiful. Yeah. It was really nice. Yeah. And I'm not into big weddings. I've never, I've been married twice, and it was both down at the, you know, Justice of the Peace. And, right. Um, you know, as minimal as possible. Um, but I have to say that was a really nice party and having those two families come together well, that's what it is is getting yeah. people together and as you get older and you have kids and stuff it's it's hard to get together with your old friends and yeah so a lot of times it's an excuse to do that and that's where the real fun is for me yeah, yeah. Kind of things. so Keeps that's what I was looking forward to yeah. just seeing people I haven't seen and yeah but you know, it's nice to get dressed up and <laughs> a little bit extra it's good <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, say goodbye to Justin, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. His uh, his partner's showing up tomorrow, yep. and he'll be going off and doing his Spanish thing with her for a while, and uh, and then I'll be heading off to the Canary Islands to write he's, this damn. He's book going into hiding, so I'm going into seclusion. Yeah, yeah I'll st I'll still be pumping out the podcast once a week. I'll I'll check in and say hello. I think a Periscope every now and then too. Oh, we did a par we did two Periscopes yesterday for the first time ever. Um, yeah, we were gonna do one today, but uh, yeah. kind of forgot. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's what I need is another social media drain on my. It was fun though. Because you know, if the, for those that haven't seen the Periscope. It's like a live TV show, yeah. And so you can interact with it, and so people are asking us questions or just, yeah, commenting and yeah, saying fun. hi from Romania. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> That's so crazy. Thank you though for those who watched. We enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun. We were having a good time, obviously. Yeah. All right. So, do you, anything you want to say in in parting? You no, I think that um, whip out some Spanish on him here. No, I'm not ready for that. Yet. <laughs> Except what? Uh, let's see. TNA. <laughs> TNA. TNA, you have. Oh no, don't don't say any of the nasty stuff I tell no, you. No, no, no. <laughs> Bonita, Somera. Uh, son, uh, son, uh, son, uh, oh, um, uh, sonrisa. 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 Yeah. Bonita sonrisa. Una sonrisa muy bonita. You have a beautiful smile. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. No, but yeah, get out and travel. This is my first time, and uh, it's just everything I needed. You know, and I got another 10 days here, so we're going to go off and Mandy and I go check out the coast and go probably go check out Madrid. Sweet. But um, it just it changed your perspective, and I think um, stuff that I already kind of knew, or I, I, there's nothing really that surprised me, but um, but it, it, it's definitely changed. It, I know this trip will change me, and, and the more trips I get out on and be able to take that back, because it's hard, the struggle I have at home is trying to keep up you know living in the united states and that's where i'm at now and, and as much as i would like to get out 
that's just where life is. And so trying to find that balance of keeping up with under that system, but balancing out with something like this. So. Well, you know, if, if Trump gets elected, you can always come and live here on the town. Yeah, in the hammock. I'm yeah. in. <laughs> I'm in. It's beautiful here. So, well, thank you. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. That's, uh, that's Roma number four, I think. Nice. With a special guest, Justin DeRyder. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through patreon.com or fundwhatyoulove.com on either of which you can decide how much you want to give the podcast a buck a month, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more, or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Other people are covering your load, so you're going to be good. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. The other way you can support the podcast is if you buy shit through amazon.com or you know someone who does please direct them through the link on my page chrisryanphd.com you click on that baby once bookmark the landing page on amazon and then eight to ten percent of whatever you spend will come to support the podcast at no extra cost to you or your loved ones thank you to basin and range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast very funky little tune there uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, thanks to Shore Design T-shirts. Our garage is full of them. My mom has them all organized as only she can. Julie, thank you to Julie, my mom. She'll send those t-shirts out to you if you order them. Everything we've got in stock is from Shore Design T-shirts in Thailand. And you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at CarseyBlanton.com. C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L. A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm. And it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can, because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day
you wanna be free, say what you wanna feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.